And as has become our custom, if you're able and willing, will you please stand for the reading of God's word from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of, his, of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the, Holy, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, I have to ask you somewhat of a personal question. Are you cynical? Do you believe, live, and think that people are primarily motivated completely out of self-interest? Do you distrust people, their sincerity, and their integrity? Let me, let me give you an example. A husband goes and buys his wife a new pair of shoes that she's always wanted. How do you respond to that? Or if you're living in a home, you come home or you come out of your room and your children are frantically cleaning up something, <laughs> trying to make something spotless. And they say, Mom, Dad, how can I help around the house? Are you suspicious? <laughs> or you get to work and your boss presents you with this thing that you've been asking for for years and all of a sudden it, it's on your desk. Are you questioning his motives? Is your response to these situation? oh man, this is great. Thank you so much for your thoughtfulness. I can't believe how considerate you've been. Or are you like me and say, why did you do this? What's the catch? What do you want from me? You see, when someone is cynical, they automatically think, what's behind the gift? What, what are you hiding? Because if you're cynical, when someone gives you something or does something for you that you don't deserve, no matter what it is, it's hard to believe or understand that they did it out of the goodness of their heart, unless your name is Maggie Sheridan. <laughs> to be cynical is to question 
everybody's intentions. To live in constant suspicion. Do you want to hear people being cynical? Go to any sporting event in America. To any school in the country, you will hear people constantly saying, well, they shouldn't have done it that way. If I would have done it, I would have done it better. I would have done it this way. And if we're honest with ourselves, we typically live with a level of cynicism and critique of everything and everyone we encounter. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. To critique someone is good. It can be healthy. To criticize someone is not. Being wise and knowing situations that are good, knowing situations are good. Questioning everyone all the time isn't. But here's my question for you this morning. How do you react when you read Ephesians 1, 3-14? This passage, we hear the deep things concerning God's ultimate plan for redemption for us. We hear that God has chosen us in what we call election, and that God's predestined us, he's foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, is our immediate response. Well, why did he do it that way? What's the catch? When we read and hear passages like this, of God's great and glorious and indescribable grace, if we respond in any other way, of praising his name, we are doing the opposite of what Paul is telling the readers of this book to do. If we begin by questioning God's motives, what we're really doing is questioning God's character and who he has revealed himself to be. Look, look, look at this text. This is what Paul says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a blessing. This is actually, this Greek word is actually the word that we get for eulogy, to praise someone, to speak well of someone. And typically we only use a eulogy for someone's funeral. But that's not how it's used in scriptures. A blessing is an acclamation of praise. It was common in the Hebrew language. Paul is proclaiming a doxology. We, we sing a doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Paul is introducing his people that when we hear of God's great acts of redemption, we should automatically respond with doxological praise. This is what we see in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, all you his angels, you mighty ones, who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. Paul here is responding in kind to the great and marvelous and amazing grace of God. And he's encouraging his hearers to do the same. This is the proper response of God's people when we hear of what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. This passage three times says, to the praise of his glorious grace. 
our response as God's people should be worshipful praise. Blessing God for what He has done for us in Jesus Christ. Blessing us for what God, how God planned our redemption. How God accomplished our redemption. How God applied our redemption to us. All to the praise of His glorious grace. In this passage, we can see God's great act of redemption in the past. His great redemption in the present. And His great act of redemption that He has sealed upon us for the future. But this morning, I want us to focus on one thing. God's gracious and glorious redemption that He gave us in Christ. You see, that's the only way that we receive this blessing, is in Christ. In each aspect, in each act of our redemption, God has done it in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even has he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Oftentimes you hear me talk about the story of redemption. And what it means is when we hear stories, stories change who we are. We tell stories to tell truths or to tell lies. We tell funny stories. We tell sad stories. But these stories never leave us unchanged. And what this story of redemption that we see in verses 3 through 14, this is the full story of the glory of God and the gospel that we receive in Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing. Here and in other places, Paul will use this term, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And some take this spiritual blessing to re refer to something that's not physical, that's not bodily. But I actually think that is misunderstanding what Paul is trying to say, because typically when Paul speaks of the spiritual, he's speaking of the things that we have received by the Holy Spirit himself. Here, we have received a blessing. God has conveyed his blessings through Christ by giving us the Holy Spirit. So in this moment, in this first verse, or this third verse, the first verse of this paragraph, we are seeing what Paul is describing as a fully Trinitarian, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, has done something for us in Christ. And in verse 4, he begins to discuss and describe that blessing. Even as, or insofar as, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us. This Greek word is what we, where we get the word for election. Just as we might elect a senator to represent us in Washington, so too God elects or selects us in Christ Jesus for our salvation. It's the exact same word that Jesus used in John 15, 16, when he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. This is where Paul starts. God is the initiator in our redemption. 
It is because of him we have received received salvation. He uses this phrase before the foundation of the world to underscore his electing power. God chose people before they could have any influence on what God has done. God chose people, chose us in Christ before any human decision, before any human action, before any human responsibility, since it occurred before God laid the foundation of the world, before humanity even began. It's as if God is placing our salvation outside of human grasp and placing it outside human history. Before you could do anything, before you could deserve anything, before you could earn it, before you existed, God chose you in Christ to redeem you from your sins. This is what we read last week from Deuteronomy chapter 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you from the people for his treasured possession. This is why we read Isaiah 43. I am the Lord. Besides me there is no Savior. I declare and saved and proclaimed. It is God's choosing God has set us apart. Remember, that's why he calls us saints. He has chose us and set us apart in him before the foundation of the world that you might be holy and blameless before him. Paul's using the exact line of thought that he uses in verse 1 of this same book. And you might say, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. How can he say that before we've done anything? That's exactly what Paul wants us to say. You're right. You haven't done anything yet. Salvation comes according to the will of God the Father to those whom he selects. Before you could do anything to think that you did it to save yourself, God chose you in Christ. This is grace. This is sovereign grace. Unmerited, undeserved Grace. This is what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. God has graced you with his grace in Christ. And then Paul goes on to define what this election, what this choosing of God actually means in another way in verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Through Jesus Christ. Predestined acts in parallel with choosing. Insofar as he chose you, he also predestined you. This word is a derivative that they use in the Greek language to mark out the lines of property. God marked us out from the rest of the world to be saved in Christ. And then this is where Paul reveals something that's just magnificent. From verse 4 to 6, we find six prepositional phrases. Is Miss Mary here? Where's Miss Mary? Oh, dear. Here we go. Six prepositional phrases. What was God's motivation for, predestinate, for predestination? He predestined us 
in love. What was God's goal for predestination? He predestined us for adoption. What was God's means of predestination? He predestined us through Jesus Christ. What was God's relation between predestination and adoption? He predestined us to himself. What was God's reason for predestination? According to the good pleasure of his will. What was God's result in predestination? He predestined us for the praise of his glorious grace. Brothers and sisters, if this isn't a doctrine that we should recoil from, quite the opposite. This is a doctrine that should cause us to fall on our knees and praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for what he has done to sinners like us. What's not fair about being saved by God's grace? What's not fair about God saving anyone who has fallen into sin? What's not fair about God's unconditional, unmerited love in Christ? We have to ask ourselves, what's the alternative? The alternative is either we actually don't need to be saved. Or the alternative is we can somehow earn our salvation. Leave it to me. I'll take care of it. But nowhere do the scriptures actually teach that. The last alternative is that we can say somehow we cooperate with God in our salvation. But again, that isn't what this passage teaches. This passage is the story of God's redemption in Christ. This is why Peter, at his sermon at Pentecost, can say, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. David Hodge says, knowledge is not about knowledge in itself. It's about knowledge in the context of wisdom. God is neither orchestrating every event nor watching to see what happened in a sea of possibilities. Rather, by his wisdom, he knows and foreknows. This is not wisdom based on observation, but wisdom that is squarely grounded in God himself. That is what Paul is trying to say. We have been predestined for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. According to the purpose of his will. That is his reason. And the goal is our adoption as individuals into the family of God. This isn't adoption as we see in the movie Despicable Me. In Despicable Me, we find these three girls that just happen to arrive on Gru's doorstep. And he eventually, begrudgingly, lets them in. Then he gradually grew and fell in love with them. And then at the end, he decides to adopt them. That's not how God predestined our adoption in Jesus Christ. He selected you before you came into existence. We were despised and dejected, unwanted, an enemy. But instead of casting us out or closing the door, instead of even just inviting us in, he comes to us and casts his net of love upon us so that we cannot be free of it. God has taken distant foreigners to be his children, to receive the inheritance of his entire estate. And this is his motivation. 
because he loved you. Because he loved you. Predestination to adoption is not some cold, abstract act of an impersonal God. It's an act of love of the inexpressible grace that we find in Christ. This isn't mechanic determinism. We are adopted as children by his good pleasure towards us. This is grace bestowed. This is grace lavished on his people in Christ to the praise of his glorious grace to the people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praise yet you did not call upon me O Jacob this was the plan since before time in him in Christ Jesus we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace the only response the church should have to God's election and predestination of unworthy sinners should be the praise of his glorious grace. If it has to do anything with you, if it has to do anything in me, it's no longer grace. This is what Paul is going to say in chapter 2. If it has anything to do with you, or anything to do with me cooperating with God's plans, then what Paul is saying here is undone. Because then it's no longer to the praise of His glorious grace alone. But because God is loving, because God is gracious, because God planned our redemption in Christ, in history, and it actually happened, all praise and glory and honor and power and wisdom are his to the praise of his glorious grace. This is grace upon grace upon marvelous grace from beginning to end. And it's all ours in Christ Jesus. This is what he planned to accomplish in Christ. And this is what he actually applied to us by the Holy Spirit. It has been accomplished. Jesus died, and through his blood we have forgiveness of our sins. Jesus was resurrected from the grave, ascended upon on high, and sent down his Holy Spirit upon his people, sealing them. He is the guarantee of our inheritance to come. But it's not just a guarantee or a certificate that we one day will receive. It is what we have now in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is our seal. Right now, right now, we have the guarantee of our inheritance to come. We can taste it. We can smell it and see it and touch it. Because it's Christ. It's him giving himself for us. His grace has been bestowed upon us. His grace has been lavished upon us. my biggest fear is that this grace no longer overwhelms us. 
but that has just become mediocre grace. Almost a grace that we deserve. Brothers and sisters, the grace that we have received in Christ is anything is anything but normal. It is the grace of God that he planned your redemption, that he accomplished your redemption, and that he sealed you with redemption forever. It's all about his grace and what he has done in Christ. Let us pray.